back up in the book of First Timothy. We are in chapter 5 this morning, and we're going to look at the entire chapter together. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand, and Stephen or Greg can get one right to your seat so you can follow along with us. First Timothy chapter 5. The title of my study this morning is Family Matters. Jacob suggested that uh, we put up uh, Urkel up on the screen because I guess that was the name of the show back then. And I didn't think about that when I wrote the title down there, but I don't think I was a big Urkel fan back when it was on. So, First Timothy chapter 5, if you're all there, then um, let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together, Lord, to be in this place where we know that you are here, Lord, and it's uh, opportunity for you, Lord, to speak to our hearts as we have just set aside all the cares and concerns going on around us in this world and just been able to focus our hearts in upon your word and what you have to say to us. And so we thank you ahead of time, Lord, for speaking to our hearts and for teaching us from your word, Lord, principles that we can apply to our lives, that we could uh, to live out, Lord, as we wait for your return. We pray, Lord, that you'd bless our time together. We pray, Lord, if there's anyone that has joined us that does not have a personal relationship with your son, Jesus Christ, we pray that they would come to know him as our Lord and as our Savior. We thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to gather. We give you all the glory, honor, and praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Funny thing happened in Darlington, Maryland, several years ago. Edith, a mother of eight, was coming home from her neighbor's house one Saturday afternoon. Things seemed too quiet as she walked across her front yard. Curious, she peered through the screen door and saw five of her youngest children huddled together, concentrating on something. As she crept closer to them, trying to discover the center of attention, she could not believe her eyes. Smack dab in the middle of the circle were five baby skunks. Edith Edith screamed at the top of her voice, Quick, children, run! Each kid grabbed a skunk and ran. When it comes to a, a big family, anything can happen. Things can get a little stinky. When it comes to a church family, anything can happen. People can get some pretty stinky attitudes. But the bottom line is, we're all family. When the church gathers, it should, should look and function more like Thanksgiving dinner at the Waltons rather than a stockholder meeting at, at Apple. For you young people, the Waltons was a TV show in the 70s. For you old people, Apple is a computer company, not a fruit. There's a famous saying in business, it's not personal, it's business. But you see, in church, it is personal. It's about getting personal with each other. And one thing we know from church history is that in the church, it's it's made up of people. And guess what? People have problems. We have to deal with problems. In fact, we would not have most of our New Testament if there weren't problems in the church because the Apostle Paul wrote to many of the churches addressing the problems going on within the churches. So here we find Paul, and writing to young Timothy, he's going to address some of the problems that he believes Timothy may be experiencing in that church in Ephesus that he's pastoring at the moment. Seeking to answer some questions such as, well, how should people treat each other within this church family? 
Well, what if an elderly man kind of steps out of line? How do you, how do you treat them? Or how should, a, a, say, a young guy treat the, the young gals in their church? Or vice versa. What about an older lady who is a widow? How do you treat them? How do you provide for them? You know, uh, what about benevolence? How do, you, how do you deal with those looking for, for, for help? What about the pastor or the elder? What if they mess up? What do you do in that situation? And, and what about their ministry? Hopefully we'll answer uh, most of those questions as, as we look at this section. If you're taking notes, I've divided it, broken it down into three sections. Number one, we're going to see the church family. Number two, we'll deal with church widows and benevolence. And number three, we're going to deal with church leadership. Number one, church family. Look at verses one and two. Paul writes, Do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father, uh, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, with all purity. See, Paul is instructing Timothy as a pastor how to treat older men and, and women in the church as well as the younger men and the younger women too. So Paul, Timothy, probably in his late 30s, early 40s, was considered quite young to be a pastor back then. Now it's almost too old, but, but back then, you know, Timothy had to deal with these, all these folks of all these different ages. And so Paul is saying, hey, this is how you need to treat each other. And the reason being is because the church should be the example of what the family of God should look like. We should be those representatives to show the world the love of God. And I love that Paul begins by saying, listen, as a church family, we need to behave as though we're real family. We need to behave as though we're blood relatives. Because in reality, we are. Just as your blood family, you have, you know, the blood of your brothers and sisters in common. In God's family, we have Jesus' blood in common for us. It's His blood that cleanses us from all sin, that makes us merciful, that, that makes us graceful, that, that has assured us a place in heaven. That is why, as a part of Jesus' family, man, oftentimes we are closer to each other than we are to our own blood relatives. In fact, Jesus put it this way in Matthew 10, 34 and 35. Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against his mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Why would he write that? Well, because that is the result of what happens when one, when one blood family member becomes a member of the family of God through Jesus Christ. Listen, Jesus is saying there in Matthew 10 uh, this because he was concerned with us in dealing with family members who don't know Christ. He didn't want it to come to surprise to you when you rush home to tell your mom or your dad or your brother or your sister, hey, I, I've come to faith in Christ and they reject you. He didn't want you to be surprised by that because from time to time that does happen. You get saved and you come home and you, you're so excited about it. Guess what? I've become a Christian. What's the response? Oh, yeah, okay. You got religion. Yeah, that'll pass, you know, just like the perm that you used to have and just like everything else. It, it's going to change. No, no, it's different. Jesus has changed my, changed my life. He saved me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's that division that comes into the family. I don't know why it surprises us that it happens because Jesus said it would happen. It's not going to be a peaceful situation. There are lines drawn uh, when you decide to follow Jesus Christ. Now, when it comes to the church family, we don't have that division. We're all on the, the same side of the line. In fact, knowing Christ brings unity, brings us together as a family. 
and when it comes to the church family and the bond that holds us together, again, it's the blood of Jesus Christ that binds us together, that unites us as family. So as we gather as a family, we have the opportunity to talk about family issues, family life. Maybe you do this in your dinner table with all the kids. We talk about what's going on. And this is what we have the opportunity to do as we look to God's Word and maybe find from God's Word these things that, that can rekindle the, the love that we lost from our blood family when we made that decision to follow Christ. That's what Paul is saying in these first couple of verses here. When it comes to our church family, don't look at each other as outsiders, but as family. He says, look at the older men like your dad and, and the younger men as your brothers and the older women as your mom and the young, younger women as your sisters. You see, each one of these comparisons tells us the proper way to act as part of the family of God. When you think of your dad, what do you think of, you know, especially if he's up there in age, to describe him? You know, one word I think would be dignity. You know, one with dignity. So you want to show him respect and, and dignity and, and distinction in the way that you treat him. Now, you may know so much more about maybe this older gentleman, you know, in, in the Lord. But you need to respect the man because man, he's continued to move forward. Now, let me say something specifically about older people in the church in general. I think it's a tragedy that in some churches older people are, are treated as having no value, nothing to add, no help. I've often heard people say, well, I visited that church and it was just made up of old people. Well, listen, if it's completely just all old people, that's not healthy. I mean, a church needs to have young people and middle-aged people, all-aged people. And I'm thankful that God has brought us all different ages here and has blended us together. But I'm especially thankful for the older people in our church. Now, I won't say what age puts you in that category. You can decide that for yourself. I know I'm fast approaching it, but the thing is... We have a pretty good mix here. And I think it's great that the older folks can come in and worship right next to the younger folks. And, and my exhortation to the younger people in the church is to value the older people. Treat them with respect. Appreciate them. Love them. Support them. Encourage them. And glean from them all that you can. Especially those that have been walking with the Lord for quite some time. They have so much wisdom to glean from. And to the younger guys in the church, Paul says, you need to treat them like your brother. Now, I know the way my boys treat each other as brothers. Sometimes I don't know if that's what we need. I mean, you know, at one point they're going to kill each other. But let me say this. At the next minute, they, they're best friends. And, that, and let me tell you this. They're always going to be brothers no matter what. And if someone on the outside comes in and starts to harass or criticize one of them, watch out because the other one's going to be right in their face. Hey, that's my brother you're talking about. And I'll defend him until I find out otherwise. Well, the same is true in our church family. If you're going to say something against my brother, you better make sure that you have your facts straight. Otherwise, you're going to hear it from me. Why? Because, listen, we all have the same parents, right? God our Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And let me say this. If you're my brother and you do mess up, then we're both going to go to dad together, okay? We'll, we'll talk to him and we'll spend time encouraging one another and praying and seeking the Lord, seeking our Father. And we'll hold each other accountable because that's the way we grow. That's the way the church is supposed to behave. And next, when it comes to the way I'm supposed to treat an older woman, Paul says, I want you to treat an older woman as if she's your, your mom. Now, what is the first thing that comes to your mind when you think of, of, of mom? Food. Homemade cookies. Bread, right? 
Okay, the second thing that comes to your mind. <laughs> respect. Respect. You know, growing up, you may have heard this. I, I know I've said this to my kids. Hey, respect your mother. And don't you call her she, okay? She is your mother. She's not a she, okay? And I've said this to them. You know, go help your mother. Listen, mom, she went to the store. She got the groceries. She unloaded them. She's put them away. She's cooked dinner. Now the least you can do is clean the table and load the dishwasher. You help your mother. Listen, that same tradition should be within the church. We're supposed to respect the older woman and help them. Do what we can to serve them. And in so doing, we're going to be that example to the rest of the world. Now, again, in the same way, the older ladies can help the younger ladies. Maybe there'll come a time when she has to say to the younger woman, Sweetie, you really need to dress a little more modestly. And and I'll tell you why. Boys are bad. Okay? Boys are bad. Sounds just like a mom, doesn't it? You know? But see, a, a mom can say that to the daughter, you know? You know, the other way around. Now, my mom went home to be with the Lord quite some time ago, but I'm thankful for the moms here in this church because when you think of moms, again, what do you think of right off the bat? I, I think cookies, right? Homemade cookies. This isn't some deep spiritual insight. We're just simply talking about family. And that's the whole idea here. We're talking about being a family. Family matters. And then finally, in verse 2, Paul says, when it comes to younger, younger women in the church, treat them like they're your, your own sister. Now, what one word comes to mind when you think of your little sister? Maybe two words. Spoiled brat, right? I mean, okay, the second word that comes to your mind. <laughs> Protection, right? Protection. Man, you want to protect her. You're going to guard her. You're going to be a shield for her. That's the picture here. Standing in the way of anything or anyone that may want to harm my little sister in the Lord. So in the same way, if you're a single lady in the church and you bring a guy to the church, don't be offended if he gets third degree from a lot of the big brothers that are looking out for you. And when it comes to you, Paul says to Timothy, I know you're young. You may be single, you know, may be available. Listen, you especially need to treat the ladies in the church as sisters. But then he adds this, with all purity in verse 2. With all purity. Be careful, guys, in the way you talk and the way you may touch the sisters in the church. Listen, when you were blood uh, young in your blood family, you know, your sisters didn't like to be touched. I mean, if you were a kid, maybe you remember it when, you know, he touched me. No, I didn't. Yes, he did. Did not. Yes, you did. Mom, he touched me. Don't touch your sister. Then dad comes in. Keep your hands off your sister. Listen, we have to be careful in the family of God as well. If you're dating, you know, especially. I, I like what one, heard one pastor say to a guy that was dating. He says, understand why you're dating. You're dating Jesus' girlfriend, so you better think about what that means. So be careful. We're a family. As a family, we need to take care of each other, love each other, watch out for each other. Listen, this is our opportunity to do it right. You know, maybe you grew up in a dysfunctional family, you know, but now you're no longer a part of a dysfunctional family. You're part of God's family. And, and maybe we have a lot of dysfunction, but, but we're functioning very well because we have God's guidelines on how to do that, God's principles how to do that. And that's why Paul now moves to this next family relationship in verses 3 through 16. And point number two, he's going to deal with the church widows. And we're going to tie that into benevolence as well. Church widows and benevolence. There's a story of a homeless man who was looking for a handout one day in this picturesque old English village. 
He was hungry, almost to the point of fainting. He, he stopped by a pub bearing this classic name, Inn of St. George and the Dragon. Please, ma'am, could you spare me a bite to eat, he asked, the lady who answered the knock at the door. A bite to eat, she growled, for a sorry, no-good bum, a foul-smelling beggar, no way. She snapped and, and just about slammed the door in his hand. Halfway down the lane, the homeless man stopped, turned around, and eyed the words, St. George and the Dragon. He went back and, and knocked on the kitchen door again. Now what do you want, the woman asked angrily. Well, ma'am, if St. George is in, may I speak with him this time? You know, it didn't go over first service that well, and I was going to knock it out of my notes. The dragon, he was saying the lady was the dragon, and she was... Yeah, if I have to explain it, I shouldn't use it. <laughs> now, you may have wondered, how in the church do we make determinations on how we help people or do not help people? I've actually received phone calls, believe it or not, and the first thing, even before it's hello, it's, yeah, I'm calling to find out if you pay utility bills. It's like, uh, we sure do. Let me transfer you to the bill-paying department, and we'll get a check out to you right away. I, I mean... Uh, it's just not like, I can't believe sometimes people that. Now, I know in the church there are times that just like in a family, a family member may come into hard times and they need some help. And even though it speaks of widows here in verses 3 through 16, we actually have some guidelines here in helping those who are in need. And look at verse 3. Paul says, honor widows who are really widows. So he's saying, you've got to make a determination here. I mean, there may be widows who really aren't widows, you know, and they're looking for a handout. And, and, and in the same way, you know, there may be those that, that are looking for help that really don't need the help. And you make sure they're not scamming you. And let me say this. When it comes to the church, we really do try to help those that really do need help. We take what, what comes into the tithes and the offerings, and we have a, a, a benevolence budget that we have, and, and we want to help those in need. And as a pastor, I have the responsibility, and so do the elders, to pray and seek the Lord so that so we'll know what is the best way that we'll be able to help that person who has the need. Now here Paul is speaking about those who are really widows should have honor or help, and in the same way, those who truly are in need, if possible, the church should be able to help them. Now, to make sure that they are really widows or they really are in need, Paul lays out specific guidelines here in the following verses uh, to help us. In the same way, we're we're as a church to have specific guidelines that we follow uh, that we take in helping someone in need. And many of them are found here in this section of Scripture. And the reason we have to have guidelines is because, sadly, there are people out there who are really, really, really good at selling their story, at selling their life. Now, that's not to say that there aren't those that truly do have a very hard story, a very legitimate need, but more often than not, a person who calls here is just really uh, reaping the consequences of a life of sin. And if we just help them by throwing some cash away, then it's not really helping them at all. All it is is putting a Band-Aid on, on a much bigger problem. And what they need is who they need, and they need Jesus Christ. But even so, when I see or talk to somebody who's legitimate has legitimate needs, they aren't going to mind if I ask them a few questions. And in the same way, that's what Paul is saying to Timothy. Ask questions, determine to find out whether there really is a need. Look at verse 4. He says, But if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show piety at home and repay their parents, for this is good and acceptable before God. 
Listen, if we do have a widow in the church who has a need, and if she knocks on the door and says, hey, can you help me? The first thing I'm going to say is, well, do you have kids? What are your kids doing for you? Have you talked to the kids? The point here is that Paul is making, if you gave to your family, then when you have a need, it's time for the family to give back to you. Well, I never gave to my family. That probably explains the message you're in now. But see, what Paul is doing here, he's building in a, a safety net. The family is built in a safety net for assisting the church and assisting those who need help. Now, in the same way, someone may call the church and say, hey, I need some help here. I've got this bill that's due. And I say, well, do you have any relatives? And they may ask, well, why? Well, because I know, you know, you know, if you have a brother or sister, maybe they can help. Let me give them a call. Oh, no, 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 don't call them because, I, you know, I, I already soaked him for a lot of money last year. Well, let me call your dad or your mom. No, 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 I took their car last year and I wrecked it. And so, so he, they just owned me. See, what has happened is that person has just been doing this for a very, very long time. There's been a pattern. And now he's coming to the church and he just wants to have the church take over where the family and the relatives left off. So we need to be wise as serpents, gentle as doves, in dealing with the, the topic of benevolence. But, you know, there's been times that, that I'll ask strangers. You know, people come up to hey, I need some help. And I'll say, well, do you have any family? No, I don't talk to my relatives. Well, do you have any friends? No, I don't have any friends. I'm transient. You mean to tell me at this point in your life you have nobody that you can help to help you? No, I don't have anybody. But I'm a Christian. You know, I, I, I'm coming to the church. Wait a minute. That's an oxymoron. There's something wrong there. If you say I'm a Christian and have no connection to a church, no church affiliation, you don't know a pastor or a previous church, you're telling me you have no family but you're a Christian, something's wrong there. Because if you're truly in the family of God, a Christian, then you're going to have a family, you're going to have a church family, someone there to help you. Not necessarily the way you're wanting help, but they're there to help you, maybe just, just to be praying for you. But if you're living in pleasure after pleasure, not looking for a job, just looking for a handout week after week, then Paul says, don't go crying at a church for help. Now, if you have no family whatsoever, that's a different story. Look at verse 5. Paul says, now she who is really a widow and left alone, trusts in God and continues in supplication and prayers night and day. In other words, those that really don't have family and they really have a need, listen, they're trusting in God. They're seeking God even through the hard times. And they're just going to continue to trust in God day and night until God provides. And then, verse 6, Paul says, but there's others, he says, but she who lives in pleasure is dead while she lives. Well, what a, what a complete opposite, you know. You might say, well, Paul, that's a little bit hard-hearted, isn't it? I mean, Paul says that the woman that is a widow who isn't trusting God, not continuing in prayers and supplication, but just lives her pleasure, is dead while she lives. She's a dead woman walking, I guess. I mean, but it sounds harsh. But see, what we're dealing with here is weeping, reaping the consequences of sin. And you're going to reap what you sow. That's why Deuteronomy chapters 28 through 30 tells us that if, if you have, you can have blessings and cursings. You know, if you live according to the blessings, you're going to have, enjoy life. If you live according to the cursings, you're going to pay the consequences. So Paul is telling Timothy, tell people these instructions. This is how we handle benevolence. These things command, he says in verse 7, that they may be blameless. Listen, if you teach these things, if you apply these principles uh, then, then people can't blame you and say, oh, I thought you were Christian. How can you not help me? Hey, I'm just following God's principles laid out in His Word and dealing with those in need. 
you'll be blameless. Now, that doesn't mean people, you know, they're still going to get mad at you. I mean, you know, we've had people come to the church and we've helped them and, and strangers and we help them and they come back the next week. We're looking for help and we say, you know, we can't do this. We're going to help you. And they, they storm out mad and, and, you know, say all sorts of slanders and, and you know, offensive words. And then it's like, hey, you know, we're just following God's word here. We're just doing what God's word says. Now look at verse 8. Paul says, But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now, I don't know how you can make any stronger of a statement than that right there. A man is to provide for his family, period. It doesn't matter you know, what type of testimony that man may give at a, at, a, at a prayer meeting, what kind of testimony a woman may give at a Bible study. If they're not trying to take care of their own family, then there's no testimony. Paul says they're worse than an unbeliever. Well, that is so clear. I mean, there's some things you may miss in Scripture, but that, you can't miss that. Let me say this. If someone comes to the church looking for help, a handout, and he's got biceps the size of my thighs, you know, and I'll say, I'll tell him, what you need is a job, is what you need. I'll say that as polite as possible because he's got those huge biceps, but... I'm not going to hand out money. We don't hand out cash here at the church anyway, you know. But I say we have a food pantry, and the food pantry is available. And, 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 you know, you take some food there and whatever you can save on your food budget, you know, uh, you get from the food pantry and while you're out looking for a job. Now, the food pantry isn't, you know, come to Walmart Chapel, you know, where lower prices are guaranteed, so low it's free. But it is available to those that are in need. But here's my point. Our desire, first and foremost, is to bring people into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Secondly, to help out those in need in the family of God. Now, that's not to say that there aren't special circumstances. Maybe you've lost your job, your house burned down, serious operation. You have no family that can help because they're more burdened down than you are. Then this one time, you know, that you really are in need, then, of course, we're going to help. But it's going to be after a lot of questions and, a, and applying the principles. Providing God has provided us, the church means, to help you and you truly have a legit, legitimate need. In fact, Paul gives us a list of things to look for that really qualifies for a widow getting help. Look at verses 9 and 10. He says here, Do not let a widow under 60 years old be taken into the number, and not unless she has been the wife of one man, well reported for good works, if she's brought up children, if she has lodged strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she's relieved the afflicted, if she had diligently followed every good work. Paul is saying, these types, these legit ladies, man, then they should be on the top of the list getting help. We should do all that we can to help these ladies. But, verse 11, refuse the younger widows. For when they have begun to grow wanton against Christ, they desire to marry, having condemnation because they have cast off their first faith. So we see this responsibility in the church to minister to widows. Paul is saying that, that the ones we should minister to is someone that's over 60, dedicated to the church service. She's been faithful, wife to one husband. She's got no family around to take care of her. She doesn't have a Social Security or Medicare. They didn't have that back then. So what was happening during Paul's time is, is this widow would say, hey, hey, I want to pledge the rest of my life, however long I have, just to serving the church, any way I can minister to the church, being a part of the church, whatever I can do. So Paul is to tell Timothy, ask, ask her how old she is. Okay, I'm, I'm over 60. You know, I'm, I'm just going to tell you I'm over older 60. I'm not going to tell you my age. 
I've got a lot of years left, so I, so I want to serve. And so Paul says, listen, you need to take care of those that, 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 that do are in that position according to the provision you have. That's the work of the church. But if the same situation happens, Paul says, if, if the widow comes in and she's young, don't be doing that. Why? Well, because the widow's young. And he's saying, man, you start providing for her, and all of a sudden that, that, that loyalty to the Lord and loyalty to serving the Lord is no longer there because she sees Mr. Wright the second time around, and she's going, oh, man, this, this is the guy. And there's this conflict going on. Apparently that was happening during Paul's time. So Paul says, here's the problem with young widows. And it gets kind of harsh. Look at verse 13 through 16. And besides, they learn to be idle. Wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but also gossips and busybodies, saying things which they ought not. So, they're young, they're widows, and all of a sudden they're learning, hey, you know what, I need to talk about this person, talk about that person, and know, do you know what they're doing over here, and you know what they're doing over there? So he says, first, verse 14, Therefore, I desire that the younger widows marry, bear children, manage the house, give no opportunity to the adversary to speak reproachfully, for some have already turned aside after Satan. If any believing man or woman has widows, let them relieve them, and do not let the church be burdened, that, is, that it may relieve those who are really widows. It basically, it's called living responsibly. Again, the problem was with the widows, and God is saying whether the widows or anybody in the family of God, we need to take care of each other. Don't put the whole burden upon the church. Widows, if you're young, Paul says, I think it's a good idea that you get married. And guys, if, if you're single and you see a, a, a widow in the church and you guys are about the, the same age, then they talk to her. See, see what she's like and get married. So that's all I'm going to say about that. Let's bring us to the third point. Number three, church leadership. Look, verses 17 and 18. <laughs> Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in word and doctrine. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. There's a story about a man that called the church asking to speak to the head hog at the trough. The secretary said, who? The man replied, I want to speak to the head hog at the trough. She was sure now that she heard him correctly. So she said, sir, if you mean our pastor, then you need to treat him with more respect and ask for him by pastor or minister. But certainly you should not address him as the head hog at the trough. At this, the man came back and said, oh, I see. Well, I have $10,000 I was thinking about giving to the building fund. Just then the secretary said, hold the line. I think the big pig just walked in the door. I don't know if that had anything to do with my point, but I like the story. <laughs> Here, Paul is saying that an elder or a pastor or a bishop or an overseer of the church who is studying and laboring in the Word, feeding the church the Word of God, handling doctrine week after week, teaching the Word of God, he said they should receive double honor. And many commentators agree that this phrase, phrase double honor, simply means financial support. They should receive financial support. Now, I want to say before we finish up here that, that uh, as a disclaimer, that we just happen to be in this text this morning, and so... Uh, this doesn't have anything to do with me thinking, you know, we need to talk about giving Tom a raise or vacation or something like that. Okay, that's not what this word is saying here, you know. Um, but I'm not going to avoid it either. Okay, we happen to come across the scripture. We're going we're gonna, to, you know, talk about what this is saying. And I also want you to know that, that uh, right, up, right up 
front that I have a board that decides my salary. And it's a board that I'm accountable to and, and, and guys that, that, that love me and through much uh, decisions and through, through much prayer and looking at our financial statements, the average salary of the church and, and a lot of other factors, they decide on that. And, and, and I want you to know as a church, you have blessed me and my family for the next eight, last 18 years now. And it's just been a blessing and you guys are great. But what I want to, you know, what breaks my heart, and I've heard this about other boards, is sometimes as a church, they're able to support them financially, support their pastor, but they don't. Oh, you know, he, he's a pastor, he's supposed to trust in God, so let's not, not, not pay him. And he's got to live on beans, you know, and, and, and can't pay his rent, can't support himself, let alone his family. That's not right either. There needs to be a balance there. Paul is saying there is a responsibility that the church has to make sure that the pastor is taken care of. That's what Paul is saying. You can't get around that. And it's important for us as a congregation to be knowledgeable and educated about these family things, these principles. Because again, there are some churches that, that you know, sad to say they're going to have to answer to God for their lack of support that they've given their pastors over the years. It's tragic. Because even in the Old Testament, the principle was there. In fact, Paul lists some scriptural evidence in verse 18 to support this. You should not muzzle an ox that, that, while it treads out the grain. He's quoting Deuteronomy 25, 4 there. In other words, if the, the ox is doing all the work threshing the grain, he ought to be able to enjoy a bite of the grain every now and then himself. When Martin Luther quoted this verse, he asked the question, Is God's focus the oxen? No, of course not, he said, because oxen can't read. <laughs> all right. No, his words are written to us, not for the oxen. So in the same way, if the minister is teaching the word, Paul says, if we've ministered to you these spiritual things, is it a big deal that we've reaped these physical things to be supported in the physical way? It's kind of like an employee in a business today. They're shareholders in the company. They're hardworking. They're diligent. And they share in the, in the profits. Or like, you know, if you're working at McDonald's, you get to share in the French fries. I mean, you make them all day, you ought to be able to eat some. You should not muzzle the employee who maketh the French fries. See, that's why I could never work at Krispy Kremes. Man, I'd make them, and then I'd sell them, and then I'd eat them. and Make them, and sell them, and eat them. And man, what a life. It'd be a short life, but man, what a life. Now, let me say this as well. I've met some pastors that have said, well... If I don't get paid thus and thus, and I won't serve there as a pastor, then I say you shouldn't be pastoring, period. Okay? Because either it's a calling that God has placed on your life, or it's not. And if you're going to fulfill that calling, that means you're going to do that, even if you have to go be bivocational, and you've got to get a job on the side. The Apostle Paul had a tent-making job just so he could minister. It's a calling. Well, next Paul moves to the issue of an elder and those who would bring an accusation against an elder. Look at verse 19. He says, do not receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses. So now Paul is saying, okay, they may have had this, some of this gossip going on, maybe this thing going behind the scenes, and, and they're, well, this elder said this, and, and this elder said that. And, and Paul said, now wait a minute. You know, don't receive an accusation against an elder except if there's two or three witnesses. Why? Because we know the devil loves to spread gossip about pastors and elders. He loves to malign them, spread rumors about them, destroy them. And you can be playing right into the devil's camp by listening to people doing these things. Someone may come up to you and say, well, do you hear about, about Pastor so-and-so? Or do you know this elder said this or that? Really? 
And of course, rather than going directly to the pastor, to that elder, and ask him, is, is, is this really true? I just heard this. They go to everybody else. Oh, you know, we need to pray for, for pastor so-and-so, man. We need to pray for this elder because I heard that they said that she did. You know, and wait a minute. They don't go to the pastor like Matthew 18 teaches and, and ask them directly. They, they want to tell everybody else about it. So there's a big difference between making an accusation and, and inquiring what's going on. Now, the, the biblical guideline is you're not to even listen to an accusation unless there are two or three people, preferably three, that can, can confirm it. There needs to be two or three people bringing you this information before you even listen to it. Even then, I recommend you follow Matthew 18 and go to the pastor and find out whether or not it's true or not. But people are too afraid to do that. I've seen pastors and elders' reputations ruined because of gossip and slander and because no one took the time to call and find out what was going on. They just heard bits and pieces. But let me say this. I've seen the other side of that coin also where, where, where sin goes unchecked because people have failed to act and, 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 and hold that pastor accountable or that elder accountable because of sin. That's why Paul says in verse 20, those who are sinning rebuke in the presence of all that the rest also may fear. Notice that it says those who are sinning, it's a present tense. They need to be rebuked. They need to be stopped right away. Don't let it be swept under the rug. Let it get it out there. If a pastor or an elder is, is an open sin, then it needs to be dealt with. Why? Not to bring him down, to tear him down, but for restoration, to get him to see the sin, turn from it, and turn back to God. It's a warning to those when you see that go, man, the church takes sin seriously. Then finally, verse 21, he says, I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that you observe these things without prejudice, doing nothing with partiality. Do not lay hands on anyone hastily nor share in other people's sins. Keep yourself pure. Now, it seems from here that, that, that Timothy maybe raised up leaders in the church too quickly, guys that weren't qualified at the time, elders that maybe been causing a little problem. There's a real danger in that too. Then he adds in verse 23, No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for your stomach's sake and your frequent infirmities. Those that love to drink wine love this verse, and boy, don't they quote it. Say amen, hallelujah, praise the Lord, my stomach's sake that needs some wine here. Listen, this is not a command to go to get drunk and drink wine. This is not what Timothy is telling, Paul is telling Timothy. Timothy evidently had some stomach problems or, or ulcers. And, and, and uh, I thought it was funny. I heard one person say his stomach problems probably came from the elders that he laid hands on too suddenly. <laughs> he ordained them, now they're causing problems. I, I don't know. No, really the context here, this is medicinal. It, it's for medicine. The wine there. It's for medical purposes. Now, Kevin Presley, who, who you know is a doctor, he came up to me after first service and he told me, now if their wine was different back then, maybe it would be helpful. But wine today, let me tell you, it's not helpful for the stomach. In fact, alcohol irritates the stomach. So it wouldn't be good medicine. And, and understand, Paul is not tell, telling Timothy, hey, hey, Timothy, I know ministry can be tough. You know, every now and then, get yourself a glass of wine. Relax for your stomach's sake. It's not, okay? That's not what he's saying. Here's a side note. Evidently, Timothy was not being healed by God. You know, let me say this. God doesn't always heal our physical infirmities. And I think the word faith healers really have a problem with this verse here. Because 
you know, if God always heals, then why didn't Paul say, Timothy, what is wrong with your faith? If you had more faith, then you wouldn't have stomach problems. You need to claim it, name it, and claim it, blab it, grab it, speak it out. You'll be healed, you know. But he doesn't say that. He gives them a, a medical prescription for it. And let me say something else. There's nothing wrong with going to a doctor for help. People oh, I don't use doctors anymore. I think you're crazy. God has given doctors, especially Christian doctors, much wisdom. Go to the doctor. See what they can do for you. He's got wisdom for a reason. So I think Paul would say to Timothy, you know, uh, Timothy, don't forget to pack some Tums or take some Rolaids or some Pepto-Bismol for your stomach. Finally, Paul closes out chapter 5 with two final verses. Verse 24. Some men's sins are clearly evident, preceding them to judgment, but, uh, but those of some must follow, men follow later. In other words, some elders or pastors, when they sin, it's obvious. Others, it will be revealed later. Verse 25, likewise, the good works of some are clearly evident, and those that are otherwise cannot be hidden. Some are doing a great work for the Lord, and they get no recognition. Paul is telling Timothy, keep up the good work. Even though no one may see it, God sees it. God will acknowledge it and God will recognize that. So a very practical chapter. You know, one night you might be wondering, so what do I do with this? I know I was wondering at the same time as I was looking at it. But in the context of the church, we're being educated on the word of God. God's designed that the way the church should function as a family. And we need to understand these things. And understand that we are a family. And as a family, we need to take care of each other. Older men and, and women are our moms and dads. And, and younger women, men and women are our sisters and brothers. And we need to be treating them that way and be praying for one another. And, and, and talking to one another, communicating one another. Finding out, hey, what's going on in your life? What can I do for you? How can I pray for you? How can I help you? I want to close with this quote from A.W. Tozer's book, The Pursuit of God. He said this, Has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos, all tuned to the same fork, are automatically tuned to each other? They are of one accord by being tuned not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. So 100 worshipers met together, each one looking to Christ, are in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be. I like that. As we're all in tune with our Savior, in tune with our Lord, then we're going to be in tune with each other. You know, as we look to the Lord, it's the vertical and the horizontal. As long as the vertical is right, the horizontal is going to be just fine. Listen, the times in which we live in are trying times. We need each other. We need to focus on the Lord and Him alone. He's our tuning fork. And when we keep our eyes on Him, then, then and only then can God bless the church and continue to bless our church as we move forward. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time, Lord. Thank you for your word, the section of Scripture, Lord, that we can take, Lord, and apply in our lives, Lord, apply in in our own situations. And, Lord, I do pray, Father, for the needs of of the families in our church, Lord, and we do want to, uh, Lord, look to meet each other's needs, Lord, but we want wisdom from your word from it and apply these principles in our lives, Lord. Father, we thank you for your love and grace. We thank you for, Lord, how you never leave us you never forsake us, that you will always provide for us. Lord, your, your word says, you know, so what son that they, they need bread, you're going to give them a stone. Lord, a fish, you'll give them a serpent. Lord, we, we know, Lord, that you provide for us, and we thank you for that. And so, Lord, we thank you for this time this morning. We thank you for your grace and mercy.
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.